Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers, using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like School districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice? curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone. Welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to another episode of Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow, and I'm so happy you're here. Friends, today we're going to talk about that D. It's all about the D. D stands for data, and we are going to be talking about data. Progress monitoring is a super duper quadruple pooper scooper important part of the IEP process and special education practice and far too often it's overlooked. So today we're going to look at some pitfalls to progress monitoring, some things that schools get wrong in progress monitoring and we're going to talk about the solutions to those. So I've got some good content for you today. This is a little technical, a little education practice-y, which is something that we don't get into very often. I get into stuff like this in the Special Education Advocacy Lab, which is my online course to help parents advocate in special education. This just felt like something that was important to talk about here on the podcast as well, mainly because I've had a lot of conversations about progress monitoring recently, and I know that there's a lot of misconceptions out there about progress monitoring. So I'm gonna start with one of my favorite progress monitoring, monitoring nightmares, one of my favorite stories, and, uh, then we're gonna dive into common pitfalls that I see relative to progress monitoring. But first, I do want to tell you that we have officially come up with the date for the, what do we call it? The conference. I don't know. I don't know what it's called. Sorry, I got a little distracted there. I got a phone call. The conference. The, I think we just call it the Special Education and Advocacy Conference. Gosh, I probably should know that. That's bad business. But we've come up with the date for the conference. The last two years, we have done a free virtual conference, and we are going to do a free virtual conference again today. And the important thing I want to tell you is it is on January 28th, 2023. It will look a lot like prior conferences. I do think we might have some bells and whistles that we're gonna add on. We are developing it still as we speak, but I want for you to mark your calendars for January 28th, 2023. As has been the case in the past, if you attend live, it will be free. If you want on-demand, that will be available as well. And that on-demand is great if you attend live. And there are two things at one time that you want to watch, or if you are unable to attend all or part of it live because we've got busy lives. So January 28th, 2023, we will likely go from morning until midday, you know, nine to one, nine to two ish. And, and that will be Eastern time. And if you've got any recommendations for speakers or vendors, you can send them my way. So you can connect us via direct message on social media, Facebook or Instagram. You can send me an email. If you've got my cell phone number, you can text me. So that's where we are. I'm excited to share that information 
with you. It's coming together nicely. All right, moving right along, let's talk about progress monitoring. And I'm gonna start with one of my favorite progress monitoring stories. Okay, I really, I was as I was planning this earlier in the week, I was really trying to rack my brain with what this skill was that we were monitoring, mainly because I like to come up with another skill that's similar when I tell these stories to protect confidentiality. And I cannot remember the skill. And I even went into the IEP for this particular student to look and I couldn't remember when I looked at the skill. So I have chosen a skill that is not on this child's IEP in order to provide confidentiality. And I think it doesn't necessarily matter. Okay, so the skill that we are going to use, again, is not the skill that we were monitoring on this particular child, but let's say that it was rote counting, okay? So we're just trying to count to the number 30. And I oftentimes use the number 30 because if you can get to 30, then, and if you can count by tens, and if you can count by hundreds and thousands, then you can count to anything because once you get past 29 and you kind of get in that rhythm of 21, 22, 23, okay, right, you get it. All right, so we're counting to 30, that's what the goal is here. And so they, you know, gave me the paragraph that you sometimes get. No, no graph, no like raw data, I got the paragraph. You know, this child can occasionally count to 30 and they are currently counting to, to 30 with 70% accuracy or something. It was abysmal. It was like 30% accuracy. And I was like, well, what's that mean? They can, they can do it with 70% accuracy. Like how many data points did you look at in order? Is, is that 70 or rather let's say it was 30 because it was not good. What is that 30 a, an average over the last couple of weeks or months? Is it just what they did on their last data point? Where's that average or that 30 coming from? And they couldn't answer it. So I was like, well, that's interesting. And so I was like, well, can I see it over the course of time? Like how this child's done? Because you know, if you count to five and then you count to 10 and then you count to 15, like, oh, that's good. We're making some progress. But if you count to five and then 25 and then 20, 20, 20, 29, three, 12, 28, well then, you know, I'm more likely to, to conjecture that the child can do the skill, but that something else is getting in the way of that academic task, like behavior or regulation or, you know, executive functioning, something like that, maybe language. So, you know, you can, as we talked about last week, you can see a lot if you look at the outside stuff that's affecting the data. And so the people kind of looked at me like blankly, okay? And I'm like, ah, what the heck is this all about, right? So I thought, well, okay, they are, you know, not really quite sure what I'm asking. So I say a bunch of words to explain it. Like I just explain, I explained to them what I just explained to you. And they still were like, and I said, okay, where's your raw data? Like what's on your clipboard? And she looked at me blankly again. And I mean, it was, it was comical, the blank stare. Okay. In fact, sometimes 
when I get irritated, when I was teaching, I got really sarcastic and I did not like that about myself, particularly with high schoolers. Nowadays, my kind of default, if I get irritated, which doesn't happen very often, is condescension. And I think I might have even been like, <laughs> okay, I mean, what do you have? You know, like really condescending, like, ah, I remember this one attorney drove me crazy and I used to say, Eric. And it like drove me crazy that I would talk to him that way. Like, but I was so condescending to him. So I think I probably got even a little condescending. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, what do you have, people? I said, so how do you keep data? Like, let's go to the basics. So you're testing this skill, counting one to 30. Where do you write down the number where you land? Like, where do you write down where it, where it stops? And she goes, well, on post-it notes. And I said, okay, so then what do you do with the post-it notes? Like, where do they go from there? And she into this Google Doc. And I was like, all right, we're getting somewhere. Can I see the Google Doc, please? And she showed a pie chart. A pie chart that said that the child, you know, could count to 10 four times and counted to 13 one time and to 14 one time and to 15 one time and to, I don't know, three, four times. And I'm like, well, this tells me nothing. This tells me nothing about the child's progress. It's data. I mean, it, you're, you're keeping track of that, but how do we know how it goes over time? So like, with, so, you know, I know enough about, about Google charts and you should too. You should know about how Excel generates charts and how Google generates charts because, you know, you have to know this in order to, in order to ask. Um, and that's actually a topic that I've got planned. So I'm like, what the heck? What are you talking about? Like how? And, and she said, well, I, no, no, no. Sorry. I said, how, like what data went into the making of this graph? And so she didn't know. And I, I was like, well, give me control of your computer. I'm going to click around. So I click around on the computer and all that it was, was the raw scores. There was no date associated with it. There was never a date. So you couldn't see if the child was actually progressing, like counting higher over the course of time, which is so basic, right? We should count to five and then we should add five numbers and be able to count to 10 and then we should add five numbers and be able to count to 15 or maybe to 20 because we get through all the teens and then get through all the 20s. And I mean, it, it, it's not rocket science. And so I'm like, this is not telling me anything about progress over time. And like, so then I stop and explain data has to drive instruction, blah, blah, blah. And they seriously just looked at me. And finally I said, so how many post-it notes are on your desk at any given time? And she kind of looked at me blankly. And I said, so, okay, so how many kids are on your caseload? I don't remember, seven or eight, maybe 12, I don't remember. And I said, and how many, like, what's the average number of goals? Well, probably like three to eight. Okay, so let's assume that everybody has five goals and you've got eight kids. So you're monitoring 40 goals. And many of those have several benchmarks. And you mean to tell me that you are putting at least 40 post-it notes on your desk, probably at least every two weeks, and that then you make sense of that at the end of the quarter, at the end of the month, at the end of the some certain time period? Like, I don't see how that could ever be an effective data collection strategy. And they continue to look at me blankly, and we eventually made some progress. But <laughs> what I am here to say is, Sometimes there are problems with the actual data collection or the evaluation of the data. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. 
So I've got a quote for you from the, from the President's Commission on Excellence in Special Education from 2002. This is in the Bush administration, and this is a quote from the document that was generated by this Commission on Excellence for Special Education. It says, IDEA will only fulfill its intended purpose if it raises its expectations for students and becomes results-oriented judged by the opportunities it provides and the outcomes achieved by each child. IDEA has to be results oriented and it has to raise the expectations. Yes, you guys, so many people say the system is wrong. The government is failing us. The government is saying things like this. The problem is in the implementation. And so we need to help teachers help our students. And I am ready, willing, and able to help that process happen. And I hope you are too. I know you are because you're listening. So I read this article about progress monitoring a few months ago and I was like, I need to cover this on the pod and it's taken me this long to make it into something. So this article is called Progress Monitoring, colon, Legal Issues and Recommendations for IEP Teams. It is by Susan K as in K, or let me think of something else, Kurt, that's my dad's name, et shite, which is spelled E-T-S-C-H-E-I-D-T. And it's in the publication, Teaching Exceptional Children, which is published by the Council for Exceptional Children. They do trainings in almost every state, if not every state. It is a really great organization. And this is in volume 38, number three, and it starts on page 56. And I will admit that it is copyrighted in 2006. And so it might be a little bit outdated by way of just like not current, but I personally have found that the trends that are identified in this article continue to remain trends. Could there be new trends? Could the trends be, trends be shifting? Absolutely. I fully acknowledge that. But in my experience as a special education attorney, I am seeing these trends. So what this article does is it kind of summarized legal decisions that involved progress monitoring across the United States and it said, here are some trends that are happening relative to progress monitoring and the implementation of IEPs. And so we're gonna go through those. If you wanna check out that article, it goes into them in more detail, but I'm going to go through four of the, the trends. The first one is what I just talked about, and that is that the, IET, the IEP team fails to develop or implement progress monitoring plans. And the example it gives, it gives a few examples for each of these, but the one that I put, picked out was a 2000 case and the school district was called Pinsbury and, or Pinsbury maybe. And what happened was the hearing officer decided that the IEP lacked adequate statements about how the student's progress towards the annual goals would be measured and that the IEP was not reasonably calculated to provide educational benefit to the child. So backing that out, like what's the obligation? The obligation is that the progress monitoring has to be very, very clear. We have to know what we are monitoring. So in the lab, if you've taken the lab, we talk about the specifics, five elements that I think are in a well-written goal. And the reason that I've come up with those five specifics or the reason that I subscribe to this school of thought is because I look at goals it always kind of thinking about how they're going to be progress monitored. And so when we, when I sit down to, to draft a goal, I'm thinking, well, how are we going to monitor this? And how are we going to know if the child is, is making progress? So 
we're looking at how the goal will be measured and that has to be specifically stated in the IEP. In almost every single IEP meeting I attend with a client, I have to ask that with one or two of the goals, at least many times all of them to, to really make sure that we know what we're monitoring. So if you don't understand what you're monitoring or how the monitoring will be, do, will be done or how we're going to make sure that the child is making progress, actual progress, you know, from counting to five to 10 to 25, then ask enough questions that you can get the goal written well and you can get that statement in the IEP saying, this is how we're going to monitor progress. Okay, number two, sorry, I had to have a drink of coffee. Number two, abilities for progress monitors, progress monitoring can be improperly delegated. This happens all the time. In fact, in IEP meetings, I now ask, who's gonna monitor progress on this and where are we gonna do it? Sometimes we're looking at monitoring progress in two different settings, gen ed and special ed, or in a noisy environment and a quiet environment, or in the cafeteria and in the gym, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes we are looking at progress monitoring done by a related service professional and a gen ed teacher. Like the OT is consulting with the gen ed teacher, so the gen ed teacher is taking progress, but the OT comes in and takes progress on the same goal once a month. Sometimes we've got teacher's assistants and, and people that are not certified helping with progress monitoring. Who is going to monitor the progress and how are we going to ensure that the monitoring itself is consistent? Because as, if you take data at home on a specific IEP goals, I am certain that you have realized that the IEP goals or that the progress can shift and it can change depending on if you're taking it or school is taking it and what setting, etc. So there is a case called Sioux City Community School District versus Western Hills Area Education Agency. And what happened in that case was the judge determined that the confusion of roles and responsibilities relative to IEP implementation and progress monitoring may have been an artifact of insufficient planning. And in this case, it was a conclusion case, or pardon me, an inclusion case. And so it was an insufficient planning relative to inclusion. So in the IEP, we actually have to say, now we need a progress monitoring plan. How's this gonna work? Who's gonna take the data? How's it gonna get recorded? What are we going to, What are we gonna include notes? Another question that I oftentimes ask is about intervention lines in, I know in particular in Excel nowadays, you can put a vertical line or a horizontal line, depending on what it looks like, relative to when you, when you up the ante, right? Or when you change it, you know, when you go from Barton to OG because Barton isn't working at teaching reading. We can do this intervention line so we can say, on September 1st, we started this new thing, or we introduced the next thing of sight words, or we went to benchmark two instead of benchmark one so that we can look at it, right? So we've got to look at who's doing what, and we've got to document that. Okay, error number three, the IEP team does not plan or implement progress monitoring for BIPs. It is required that behavior intervention plans also have progress monitoring done. Lots of times we just continue to take ABC data, but we also are going to look at time on task or the number of prompts to do something or um, you know, participation in class or whatever our behavior goals are. We need to continue to take data on those goals. Otherwise, we're not going to know if the BIP is actually working. 
So in a case called West Des Moines Community School District versus Heartland Education, Heartland Area Education Agency, the judge determined that the lack of specificity and progress monitoring for a behavior inter intervention plan rendered the IEP completely inappropriate. And here's the sentence from the case. The IEP team must assess what is working or not working for the student whom everyone has agreed is dealing with significant behavioral challenges. You have to look at what is working and what is not working, and we can't do that with our gut. We have to look at data. Now, I will tell you that this is particularly important for students with behaviors because our human emotion kind of gets in the way. Um, and when our human emotion gets in the way of what we are processing or what we are, you know, experiencing, we can make totally wrong, our gut feelings can be totally wrong, right? Because it might be something that really bothers us or it might be something that happens frequently enough, but isn't like that big of a deal. And so data becomes really, really important with behavior because our, our caregiver or educator kind of gut reaction could be impaired by our feelings and our ability to process those and to separate them out from the child. Okay, and the fourth error is that progress monitoring is not frequent enough to meet the requirements of IDEA or to provide meaningful data to IEP teams. And I see this all the time. It drives me crazy. Yes, I will acknowledge that there is a fine line, or let's call it like a moderate line, between testing too often and providing intervention. Let me explain. So a child goes to special education and, you know, they get the heart of the IEP, that specially designed instruction. Yahoo! Like, I have these goals and, and a team of really knowledgeable, passionate people have sat down to develop the goals and then to say how they're going to teach me in order to make meaningful progress towards these goals. That is exciting. And by the way, that's going to be uniquely tailored to me and my profile and everything that makes me me. This is exciting stuff. And so that's great. That's like super exciting. But then what happens is we either only go to special education to get tested. This happens in reading all the time. You just read and test, read and test, read and test. It's super easy to track fluency with those word counts. It's super easy to track comprehension with worksheets. And so you go and you just read and take a worksheet, read and take a worksheet, but nobody's ever teaching you. And the opposite is you get taught, 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 and nobody ever takes data. Of course, the perfect storm is when you go and you play on the train table and watch YouTube videos and you aren't taught and nobody takes progress monitoring data, which parents think happens a lot. And in my experience happens a mild to moderate amount of time. Okay. So we have to take progress and we have to do it consistently and frequently. So that might mean always doing it on a Wednesday. That might mean always doing it in the morning. That might mean doing it daily at times, weekly at times, twice a week, every other week, monthly. It means doing it in a way with frequency and consistency that we can do something with it, okay? Kids are in school about nine months a year in most districts in America. And so, yeah, and, and some go year round and some go less than that. And, and you know, there's many variations, but I, I think the majority of kids are in school about nine months. And so 
if we're in school nine months and if we've developed these these few goals right like in all of school we're only going to have 13 goals or five goals or eight goals my personal opinion is we can monitor progress more often than, than monthly on most of them because we are only going to get like eight data points and how are we really going to know if we've got something mastered if we're only looking at it monthly Right? If you're trying to lose weight or if you're trying to run further or if you're trying to cook more often, you're going to look at the data on how many meals you cooked or how many pounds you lost or how far you ran more often than monthly. So that, you know, because if you aren't getting to five meals a week, then you're going to be like, okay, how can I get more organized? What can I do at the grocery store? Who can, who can help me with carpool? What can I do to change that so that I can get to cooking five meals per week. And so if we don't look at it, we don't make sense of it, then we aren't actually letting the data drive the instruction. We aren't letting that progress monitoring information help us to change things up in order to help the child make progress. Okay, so those are the four things that this article identified as trends where problems can occur with progress monitoring. Again, written in 2006, but I still see these trends on a regular and recurring basis. And so what do I think? I think progress monitoring needs to be extremely specific and it needs to be extremely consistent. And to the extent that you don't understand the way progress will be monitored and who's going to do it and how often it's going to be done. And if you can't set up a spreadsheet or a system to monitor that IEP goal yourself, regardless of whether or not you plan to actually do it, you need to ask another, enough questions that the IEP team develops a progress monitoring plan that will in fact be effective to tell you something about the child's progress. Okay, that'll do it for today. Don't forget to save the date for the conference, which is January 28th, 2023. Don't forget to connect me with any potential speakers and or vendors for that free virtual event. And I will see you next time, same time, same place here at Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow.